Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I am Adam. Yes. Um, yes. And we are here this evening as per Adam's request uh, to cover this fantastic movie. Uh, so we are covering uh, Night of the Eagle, a.k.a. Burn Witch Burn, mm-hmm. a.k.a. In My Household, which is Be Crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All the women in this are mental. Um, yes. And witches. So. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chris looks uh, like he I either think, doesn't agree or doesn't like the term. I think. I think. I think everyone in it is sort of in one way or another <laughs> off the scale, or should we say? <laughs> um, so before we get into that, um, Chris, have you been watching anything? horror related i have so i continued watching Eli roth's uh history of horror wonderful mm-hmm. and um it's on this episode is called the demons inside and so as you can imagine it's all about uh, possession and yes yeah. so the first film they cover was I'm sure you won't be surprised about this either the exorcist <laughs> kind, kind and, uh, of the one you've got to cover if you're <laughs> yeah. doing that yeah <laughs> Um, and I didn't remember saying this, but Linda Blair is on it, and she said that her lower spine was actually broken when she was getting thrashed around in the bed. Yeah. Which, yes. again, another, you know, I learned that um, uh, Candyman got stung by bees 24 times. Like, these are yep. serious actors. These aren't messing around. Oh, yeah. So, well, not only that, I'm but sure... also, it was more Billy Friedkin weren't fucking messing around. Yeah, that bloody loony. <laughs> yeah, because I, I do remember you mentioning about how cold it was. And again, Linda Blair had to, you know, she wasn't wearing that much. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, to be fair, I'm sure she wouldn't have chosen quite to be put under that sort of uh, no. pressure. Because actually but, in the film, you can hear her say Billy. Mm, oh, okay. She actually says Billy, as in Billy Friedman. What, uh, what are you doing to yeah, when yeah, you thrashed right. around on the bed because the like the harness came loose and then yeah, they were literally yeah, like yeah. Wow. Mm. So yeah, if you did mention that, I, I missed it. I thought, yeah, that was I, pretty serious. I think we did, but we also mm. I think we also That's mentioned quite a lot. there was there was a lot in there. Gunshots yeah. and Ellen mm. Burst and also getting her bloody coccyx uh, split and yeah. uh, you know, and a serial murderer involved, you know. Yes, yeah. possible serial murderer. Um, yeah, and then so, so that was great. And then they went on to Paranormal Activity, which I didn't remember anyone mentioning in the past. Have either mm-hmm. of you seen that? Um, it came out on uh, Halloween, it, it was showing in Leicester Square on Halloween mm. night in 2009. Um, exactly. And yeah, it had been put forward as being like the most scary movie of all time and you know um yes and uh it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah so so it didn't look like it, it looks it's a found footage mm. kind of look or um, homemade sort of thing and so yeah it didn't look like i would find it very very scary really but Jordan Peele said that he considered it a game changer Hmm. and 
it shows what you can do with a minimalist approach and you can scare the shit out of people and it's mostly pacing and the way you tell a story which is interesting you know it's interesting to look at it like that because we've definitely mentioned pacing and how effective that can be Hmm. I i think also it's it's always the strength of your actors Mm. when you've got when you're when you're that minimal which is Mm. unfortunately where a lot of low budget stuff sort of goes may not have because they might have the ideas but if they've not got people who can translate it well which again Mm. you know you you know you're working on a tiny budget it's probably friends and family or whatever like that and not everyone's friends are i don't know bruce campbell yes ah, you know that was a very good segue because the next one they went on to was Evil Dead? It's not the Evil Dead, is it? It's. Uh, no, I it's, think it's Evil it's Dead. Just, it's Evil Dead. Yes, because yeah. I can't remember now, but I'm, I'm looking at. I'll have a look, see if I can find it in the, in the book here. Uh, but yeah. And Bruce Campbell was on talking about it, which is great. And he said one of their aims was to make a man scream like a girl. <laughs> that, that had never been done before it sounded like <laughs> and then it shows a few clips of him and he does a pretty good job really of, of his screaming uh, just oh, to clarify it is The Evil Dead from 1981 oh, the and the 2013 one is Evil Dead there we go because uh, then it's but then it's Evil Dead 2 it's not The Evil Dead yeah. 2 mm. and it's Ash is it Ash versus is, is it Ash versus Evil Dead I think it might be the evil. Saying mm, not sure again. Yeah, it's those definite articles. Yeah. These Ash are important details. Dead, yeah. Mm. So it's Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah. So it sort of becomes Evil Dead as it goes on. Yeah. So um, so yeah, it's still great watching through these and you know just getting insights from the actors, directors, and and just seeing all the clips you know put together. You could just show mo- so many of these clips, just string them all back to back. Half an hour. That'd be a great bit of, great bit of yeah. entertainment. I, I think back to Paranormal Activity. Um, I know. I think I got an insight into how it worked. By I was round. I was round Dean's once, and his flatmate at the time, Matt, was watching it downstairs, and we literally would. We didn't hear a peep out of him for ages, and then it suddenly sounded like you'd thrown a cat on a drum kit. <laughs> you'd just suddenly get <clears throat> and I think that might be part of its sort of jump scare mm. thing is that clearly yeah. there's just long periods of silence and then suddenly wallop yeah. like huge on the soundtrack because that, mm. that only occur- that occurred a couple of times but then the rest of it was just dead quiet so. yes it is and it, it, not so much as, actually I forgot to mention that last week uh, and the week before in fact when we were talking about the um uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, the, one of the things that annoyed me with that, yeah, was the sound editing was the same. So everyone was whispering, and then as soon as Freddie turned up or whatever, they literally just doubled the volume. So you ended mm. up almost having to watch it with one hand on the volume control. Yeah. Even, like, you know, trying to watch it late at night when someone's in bed would be impossible. I was watching it in the middle of the afternoon, and I still had to have my hand on the volume control because it was too yeah. loud or too loud to just... Yeah, or maybe I just got shit printed. Yeah. No, I think I think it's I think it's very much. I, also, it's I mean you that's the that's the thing you've got a genuinely great audio setup. So you know, 
but that means that you're getting that's how it would have been in the cinema yeah just you had no control over the volume at that point mm. i mean it's it, it i can't imagine it's any sort of i can't imagine it's quite on the scale of drag me to hell which is possibly the loudest thing i've ever experienced but in that a was cinema. deafening from beginning to end. yeah the whole oh yeah thing. they <laughs> That wasn't about jump scares. That was just like, we've mastered this really well. Have a listen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> stunning, stunning. Um, yeah, so those, so, um, I'm trying to think, Chris. You see, so you've seen those movies already, apart from Paranormal Activity. Are you going to put it on your list yeah. if you want to see now, or are you not really? Uh, it, it probably wouldn't be one that I would rush to watch. Um but certainly every time they show a film in this, because it just gives you, I suppose, on the whole, a positive insight into mm. the film, then it makes it tempting you know, more than it might have been. Um, slight downside, though, is that they have just gone on to Rosemary's Baby. So I've sort of skipped through that a bit because mm. I figure we may watch that at some point. I'd be surprised Poss- if we didn't. Possibly. Yeah. I think I think also... did. I, I don't think it would count in the same genre, but did the omen come up at any point? So they didn't talk a lot about it. Because it's not really a possession thing. It's just mm. the Antichrist. It's no one yeah. gets possessed by the devil. Yeah, so they didn't go into much detail on it. Or if they mm. did, I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, I think Cause I th- someone commented that kids are just scary. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Lee would wholeheartedly agree with. Absolutely. Or, or he may use a slightly different word. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Excellent. Well done. Um, mm-hmm. Adam, have you yes. watched anything horror related in the last week? Uh, only thing I've watched is on Shudder, I've watched, I watched Blood Machines the other night. Mm. That's, I mean, it's pretty good. Um, like you say, I mean, it, looks incredible sounds incredible there's not much of a plot is there really no, no. and and i think we can qualify here that i definitely found it style over substance and you know that that's often a recommendation for me <laughs> um but yeah i think it was just yeah i think it's it's just a great exercise in visuals hmm. but yeah there's nothing there's no sort of real beyond the concept. There's no real plot going on or anything like that. So no. it's um, yeah, it's entertaining while it's on. It's perfect background. It's if you want something on while you're working or whatever, so you don't have to watch it. You can just listen to it. And when mm. you glance over, you know something exciting and neon and shiny will be happening. And you don't mm. say you don't have to follow a story or anything. It's it's just good, good yeah. background stuff, really. So, um, but yeah, that's the only. I think that's the only thing I've watched. I've watched this week, other than the films that we've been covering. So, excellent. Um, I have watched a couple of things. I have completed the whole of the first season of Castle Rock. Oh yes, and Stephen King. It's very good. Now, I, I made a point of not looking it up. I, I had two people recommend it, so I went in completely blind. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there is a second season. The way that season one is, I'm imagining it's going to be uh, an American horror story type scenario where it will cut to a different story taking place in the same 
Town. universe sort of thing yeah yeah because i don't see how it can carry on with the same story because it came to a very definite end um, mm-hmm. but yeah really good really creepy fantastic acting really well written um yeah i mean it's testament to it that in two weeks i watched all 10 hours of it so uh yeah that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good indicator isn't it yeah um and the other thing which we didn't watch but we kind of we did um dave who was on previously uh emailed me in the week to tell me that uh london horror society who we mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, mm-hmm. had put up an hour-long quarantine horror quiz oh wow um so it's lots of famous people uh, yeah giving you a few questions on horror trivia um yeah, and it runs for about an hour-ish. There's over a hundred questions. Oh, um, brilliant! It's really good. So they give you that. So it's done in eight rounds. So they'll give you like ten or twelve questions from different celebrities, mm-hmm. either one or two questions from each person, and then they give you the answers, and then they go to the next round. Um, there were two mistakes I noticed, which were slightly annoying, where they asked a question and then missed the answers when they went into editing. Um, oh. I asked the question and never answered it but as I say there was over 100 and I only got 27 uh, it's wow. really super mm. obscure stuff in there um, oh, oh I feel, I feel, I feel yeah. I've, got to, I've got to watch that now <laughs> you've yeah. got to give it a go Yeah, I'll forward you the link yeah you can give it a try and see if you've got oh sure definitely you yeah but, um, but yeah I mean, it's fantastic it's, again it was a really fun way Jennifer and I sat down with a pad and cake pad and pen each and just sat and went through and spent the evening doing that. It was good fun. That's great. Yeah. I liked it. Yes. So, on to this evening's main feature, Night of the Eagle from 1961 or 2, depending on where you look at it, apparently, is what I've discovered. <laughs> oh, right. Um, okay. It says 62 on IMDb. Mm, um, that's what I've got as my date down, yeah. Uh, but I was trying to work out what studio had released it because it was AIP. In I, saw, I saw it was mm. Elstree at the end. Yes. Yes, it was, a lot of it was shot at Elstree and the rest was all shot uh, on location down in Cornwall. So mm. all that nice stuff of the beaches and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was trying to... And I was looking at the DVD release and a couple of them were showing 1961. So I don't quite know... Oh, what, right, okay. ...what happened there. But we will go with IMDb and say 62... Um, yeah, so a very brief rundown of the story. Um, a successful doctor, uh, oh, a <laughs> successful, uh, go on. What? Oh, sorry, you sounded like you were about to. I was just about to laugh because I just, I, when, I don't know why, but it was just the way you were saying successful sounded like you were going into sexy. <laughs> so I thought it was just going to be a oh, that, sexy, probably applicable as well. Do you know what? A sexy Peter professor Wingard is just magnificent. Uh, let's not let's not beat around the bush there. He's no, the he's, he's, in the room. he's a he's a he's a he's a magnificent uh, figure of a man. He is indeed. Um, so a so he's an eminent professor, um, and he's everything's going well in his life. Um, and it transpires that his wife is a witch and believes that people are trying to do him harm and has been sitting about the whole time counteracting what she believes is evil witchcraft against him. He gets her to stop and everything unravels 
pretty quickly in his life. Um, I don't think you'd be going too far and saying tits up. Yes, very much so, very quickly. Um, so, Chris, what did you make of this movie? I loved the idea of it, and I was really enjoying it. I would say more than I expected, because it's got a few things against it, potentially. But mm-hmm. they were doing it such a good job. And then I was just really hoping that it wasn't going to be witchcraft. And I need that bit explained in case I've mistaken it. It seems like there definitely was elements of witchcraft in it because how did she know about the, the car crash? And maybe, it, uh, yeah, I, so I don't know. I, that kind of ruined it for me because I'd much prefer that it wasn't. Mm. And I still don't know for sure how much of it was because obviously a lot of it could be explained through luck and people interpreting things. Um, if you say this is happening because of witchcraft, you could start to think, oh, maybe it is, because how could that possibly happen? But of course, those things can happen. They yeah. just seem a bit surprising. So, yeah, do, does one of you want to tell me if I'm being a bit dim? Uh, no, I, I think I had the same as you. I, I, I think that it was uh, an, an element of it was certainly hypnosis, as we saw. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, yeah, I do think that there was witchcraft at play as well. Um, mm. And there was that supernatural element. I definitely thought there was. Um, I, I, I felt that that was, that, that was kind of what I felt the film sort of wanted. You, certainly that the film believed it. Hmm. If you see what I mean, like the filmmakers were doing it from the point was, of view. Yet, that yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely witchcraft. It has a supernatural... Uh, origin mm. or sort of uh, explanation and I think it's because it's a very much it's very much a sort of keystone of the film is uh, the professor's fall from his position of absolute um, what's the word for it like a- absolute secular non-belief mm. You know, as far as he's concerned, it's all mumbo jumbo, R- rational. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I think that's what it. I think that's what it is. It's basically it's a, it's a rational man having it uh, having that removed. But um, not not too far distant from um, uh, whistle and I'll come to you. Yes. Whereas you know you've got the professor who's just sort of like I mean done in a much different way you know obviously it's more comedic and everything but it's that same thing of someone who sort of is um resolute in their in their non-belief getting it sort of shaken up and getting their world turned on its head essentially so so the main problem i have with that is that because witchcraft is obviously complete nonsense then i don't mind it when a film is supernatural Mm-hmm. to the point of not possible but when it presents as you know this kind of could be real then it's just hard for me to fully enjoy that aspect of it whereas if they'd gone for the it is actually just that it can all look like that and yeah some hypnosis and certainly psychology probably come into it then i sort of prefer that outcome whereas say if we looked at the witch then 
I still really liked that at the end, whether it was she was a real witch or not. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of heard that. Now, the only thing that still led, left me a bit confused at the end of this was, why did the eagle then fall on... What's her name? I oh, on go. yes. Uh, Flora. Yes, Flora. Flora Carr. Um, see, now, I took that to be, because there's the thing in witchcraft in there that what you do to others comes back to you. Mm, okay. Yes, Widdershins. No, it's not Widdershins. I think it is Widdershins. Possibly. Um, sure but, it's, it's, but it's basically, yeah, the concept is mm. like, what is it? It comes back to you threefold. Mm. Okay, now, why would you ever be a witch then? Because you can use, if you, I think this is the point, is that if you're using... Uh, and also, I think it's the psychology of the person. She didn't believe that what she was doing was wrong. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, I think she thinks, she, well, she's just looking to further her husband and her she position within the university. The house. Oh, yeah. But no, but what I'm saying is, from her point of view, that that's, is entirely justified. Okay. Well, it's true. A lot of people do things that are absolutely insane while still exactly. thinking that somehow they're fine to do. But if they were well, done to them, they'd probably have a few words to say about it. Exactly. It's it's more to do with no one. It's like no one. No one's a villain in their own story. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Hitler genuinely believed. <laughs> Thinks. You know that he was doing the right thing. He's the hero of the story. Yeah. Exactly. And I think <laughs> it's the same sort of thing as far as they're concerned. It's like, look at this yeah. young upstart and his. Then, uh, then why wife. did she need to lie to his to her husband? Oh, because I think just he would be, he would probably react much in the same way as, um, oh, any, any, I, I keep, I keep going to call him, rational, I keep going to call person. him Peter Wingard, but I'm going to, I've got to call him by his character's name, but by, you know, how, uh, Norman, Norman, Norman was with yeah. his wife. I think it would be the same thing where it's like, oh no, it'll be. You're mental. Yeah. Well, also I think it's just sort of like you would, and then also you begin to question if it was, you know, it's, um. I think it's a complicated one, but because uh, I think everyone, basically, all the men in this would be dismissive. Yes, yeah, I guess it was that era as well. I'm well, sure I think yeah, but it's was... also it, it's a it's a university campus. It's like academics, mm, yeah. you know, people who, regardless of what you know, regardless of what it is, they will be leaders in their field and feel mm. or probably feel that they are. You know, you know, you you have letters after your name. You're clearly intelligent, but that but is also that thing of where you know, does that translate? Like you get in classic B movies where it's like, well, I'm an astronomer, but I've just synthesised this enzyme and I've looked into the uh, you know the archaeological significance of the thing, and it's like, no, no you've got you're not you're not general science, of are everything. you? Everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you it's sort of. As soon as it's like sort of, you know, oh, he's, he's, he's a marine biologist, but he knows how to create, you know, I don't know, fucking dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Or, or he can analyse, you know, a creature from another planet or whatever like that. It's, it gets very sort of <laughs> confused. But I think, genuinely, I think that it's, the, in terms of with, uh, like, magic coming back to you, is I think that there is people who see good in their purpose won't, you know, won't equate it with what's coming back to them. Hmm. 
And also, it, you've got to remember, it, is that if you then use your witchcraft in good ways, what would come back to you would be beneficial. Hmm. You know, if you were using your, if you were using witchcraft to heal people, then you know, to whatever. And this is this is a discussion that implies that witchcraft is real. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, but do you know the what I mean? Context of this film, it's, mm. yeah. it is. So we have to discuss mm. it as if that's. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the point. Is that it's sort of like it? Yes, there is the thing of stuff coming back to you threefold. But probably the majority of people wouldn't necessarily think what they're doing is wrong. Hmm. So, or what so did, they, doing did would... they say that in the film that it comes back to you? I don't oh. think they do. Because okay. that would be a fair moral to the end of the film then, is they're trying to teach people who are trying to be witches, well, you want to watch out because you might think you're doing good, but you're going to get an eagle fall on you. Well, I think also I think the point is is that you've got the key moment, weirdly, is not uh, Taylor being pursued by the eagle or even the uh, wonderful BBC Radiophonic workshop, whirly, real-to-real background that's on his um, yeah, lecture great, about neurosis. Mm-hmm. But th- the key point is actually is when he reaches the absolute, what, well, what he thinks is the end of his tether, yeah. he performs a magical ritual. Hmm. And it's at that point that it's like, that's really, I think the moral of the film is do not dismiss, you know, just because it is outside of your purview doesn't necessarily mean a, it won't work or indeed there might be more intelligent or people with better knowledge than yourself out there. He does very, you know, very blanketly say at the beginning when he's doing his, uh, during his lecture, he's saying it's people in a state of desperation. Mm. Um, yeah, and then when you see him find himself in that desperation, yeah. he does the same. He'll try anything in order to save his wife, even if it's something that he has no real belief in. Mm. Um, but for that moment, you know, and it, and the thing is, it appears to work. And weirdly, I think that might be part of the moral as well, is, is then don't dismiss. If, if something has proven itself to you in one way, hmm then it becomes surely you can't then rewrite it later hmm. you can't go back on yourself and dismiss that and say oh well you know it was well obviously it was it was a coincidence which indeed it probably was but yeah. <laughs> it's sort of you know it's got to leave you room to think and i think that's what it is it's, half of it i think is about narrow-mindedness and then i think also the other half is actually the real horror story of this is people like basically a workplace drama about people backbiting yeah Mm, well yeah and rather than and rather than it being sort of like you get someone throwing you under the bus with something that's happened or or even how it would be nowadays where it's like well look at this tweet that they put out in march 2008 where they said this you know we'll get rid of them and i think it's that uh, you know i think that's what it is is really it's half workplace drama about people being bitchy backbiting petty minded tossers combined with uh and uh, don't take the piss out of witches otherwise we oh watch it watch it squire <laughs> what i didn't realize is it's actually the because 
Um, it's based on it's based on a book by the author Fritz Lieber. Now I've read some Fritz Lieber, and it's very good. Very sort of, uh, it definitely falls into the weird fiction purview. Um, he's done stuff with. He's written using the Cthulhu mythos. Nice. Uh, oh, pardon me. Excuse me. There you go. That's Subway coming back. Um, but yeah, he. Um, yeah, he. But he also was the person who co- coined the term sword and sorcery. Oh, and he, well, that's interesting. He, yeah, and he wrote. Um, he wrote a lot of sword and sorcery. He wrote mm. some out, out horror, weird fiction. He also wrote sci-fi. A lot of his sci-fi and horror kind of coalesce a bit a bit how lovecraft does weirdly um but yeah so and the uh, story is actually called conjure wife mm. um and uh i must i must confess i've not read it but um it was originally published in unknown worlds in 1943 then in an anthology and then as a novel uh, as part of an anthology in 52 and then actually as a standalone novel in 53 and there's actually uh, there's two other adaptions of it. There's a film called The Weird Woman from Universal with Lon Chaney Jr. Nice. Um, from 1944. And then there's some a comedy from 1980 called Witch's Brew with Terry Garr, which I thought would intrigue you, Lee. Yeah. So, not on, an, on a number of levels there. Um, but I yeah, and apparently... I've got a feeling... Somebody's watching me. <laughs> I, I, yes, I've got a feeling. I, yes, because that's strange. Because I remember thinking that at the time. I came across that when we were doing research for the, uh, for Young Frankenstein. Mm. I remember thinking I must hunt it down. I forgot all about it. And then, like a week later, you said we should definitely do this film. And I was like, that's strange. But yeah, yeah. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. So there's like this is like apparently this is the. The, the best of the adaptions yeah. but from what I gather Conjure Wife because obviously there's the whole thing that they is kind of not they don't make too much of a bones about it in this but there's um, obviously it's where they've been like uh, uh, the tailors have been on, a, on field studies to look at uh, voodoo practices mm. which obviously again plays into it it still can be it still can be considered witchcraft and another interesting thing is that there's much the same as with witchcraft with voodoo practitioner a lot of it is believed to be it's belief that makes it work Hmm. i.e the belief of the person doing it but also the person the belief of the person who is subject to it yeah whereas i think that's the interesting thing with this film is it's like he apparently has been well certainly he's been uh, fortunate and lucky and how much of that is down to I think that's another thing that affects his arrogance as well is it's like my wife did all these things is that why I'm successful because then that implies I wouldn't have done it on my own mm. and again I think that's almost like it's an affront to him that it's like well why are you doing this obviously we've got this lovely house and this lovely job and everything else like that because I'm fucking great <laughs> not you know not because you've uh, Got a dead a... spider in a <laughs> <Yeah>. drawer, which <coughs> who hasn't? I mean, <laughs> so, but from so from what I gather, conjure wife like the the novel they they dwell more on that. I believe that the witch doctor 
who they talk about in this is actually a character mm. in Conjure Wise. And from what I gather, um, kind of the, the, the not not the twist or anything else like that, but kind of what becomes apparent in Conjure Wife is that all women know about witchcraft and all women are witches and they've just kept it from us. Mm. They've kept it from men, but all women know how we, <laughs> Claire's nodding. She knows. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Claire's just explained it. It's actually, that's what the instructions in boxes of Tampax is. <laughs> um, they're just the instructions, you know, basic sort of things like, I'll tell you what, your husband's boat annoying you. Right. Get a shell of an egg, put it in some water, stir it around and push it in. Cunt or drown. So, it felt but remember, like, you'll drown three times as worse later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It did feel like that. It certainly, it it did feel because Jennifer said that she was like, "Is every woman in this a witch?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, pretty much. I think they are." Kind of, yeah. And that's kind of how the book sort of works. Is that basically there's this whole background world that all the men are not 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 sort of privy to, whereby. You know, and well, let's face it, it's like, well, all all the women are actually doing all the work, mm. and actually, they're the sort of they're the reason that life well, is actually we're, we're back to social commentary again. Well, I don't, I don't even know <laughs> if it's that, but I think I just love the fact because I think it is because it is a film that does it, it works in that very much distinction of masculine feminine as well. Whereby, like you say, I mean, like Jennifer saying, oh, well, is everyone a witch? Yeah, are all the women witches? But there's also the thing where it's basically, it's like, no, I want you to listen to this lecture about neurosis and learn that you're a nutter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you silly woman with your womb leading you to all manner of, of ungodly weirdness. And how dare you, you know, because I'm a rational bloke. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah. He certainly doesn't make himself entirely endearing. Um, oh no, he's an absolute dick to her. <laughs> and it's sort of, but it's like, and it does feel like it's half, half of it is the affront of sort of, oh, why do you believe this nonsense? But it does sort of seem to almost get to the fundamental thing of, well, just stop being a silly woman. Why can't you be more like a chap? They wouldn't be doing this sort of silly thing. So. But I, yeah, so I, I gather that that's sort of something that probably feeds in from the book, but isn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, isn't there necessarily explicitly in the film. Um, but also, I mean, the people who adapted it, there's, it's got three scriptwriters, one of which is Richard Matheson, who we've been raving about mm-hmm. since Legend of Hell House episode five. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, and uh, Charles Beaumont and George Baxed and they're all of them uh, wrote for like the Twilight Zone and things like that. And I think that really, that really comes across in yeah. this. I think you know they've got they've got some bloody good writers involved. And actually, from a from a cinematography point of view, I just love how it looks. Mm, you yeah. know the black the black and white of this is so sort of crisp and yeah i was thinking like, high it's, contrast it is, you know it's aged really well mm. well i think because it, it feels like it's a decision rather than just oh everything was black and white then mm. do you know yeah. what i mean it's like you you're working you're working to the benefit of being black and white it's not just 
well, the only way we can film this is black and white because colour don't exist or, you know, we don't have the money for colour or whatever. Yeah, no, it, it does look really good. And I love the sets as well, you know, like his house and the, the university mm. where they all teach. They just look fantastic. They're such mm. lovely old buildings. and um, Yeah, and as you say, even the shooting at night, a lot of times that, like, um, when you go back to films this old, the contrast between indoor and outdoor feels very different. Um, yes. I didn't feel it so much in this, um, but mm. those outdoor shots... Um, at night, as we've said, you know, a lot of time they do day for night shooting, it looks absolutely god awful. Um, mm. Yeah, but they did a fantastic job with this. I thought it looked really not even the running around the beach at night just looked wonderful. Yeah, it's. I think yeah, it's it's such such a good job, and actually, and I think that the the eagle, you know, they do it just right. I think there's a couple of moments where it's like. That's an eagle in a full-sized in a model of a yeah. passageway, but in but in essence, it gets the point across. Yeah, and actually, uh, and that's another thing. Apparently, in Conjure Wife, the statue that comes to life is a dragon, mm. ah. and I have to say, like almost like proper round of applause to the filmmakers, where they're like, "We're gonna if we try and do a dragon, it's gonna look so shit." Yeah. So let's change it for something that we can rent. Reason to take. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We can yeah, no. we can hire an eagle. We can't hire a dragon. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. And the thing is, if that had come off badly, that effect, it could have sunk. You know, films have been sunk by less than uh, you know. Well, I mean, vision. So I think you. I think you're right. I think it was a fantastic idea. Well, it's, this film gets compared to something that we will have to show Chris as well at some point um, to uh, Night of the Demon. Yes. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, totally. But, but a lot mm. of people do say the problem with Night of the Demon is the demon. That it works. I, I personally don't have a problem with it, but I understand where people are coming from. Is that they're sort of like, their take on it is that the implication is more frightening than the, the thing that mm. eventually appears. Mm. But I do think that, um, you know, I, I can understand and I do think that it does have, it does have a bearing on people's appreciation of it. Whereas I think with this, that's, that's an eagle and it's, you yeah. know, they haven't. And I mean, also just to, just to give you an indication, we're back to the exorcist and amazing moments of uh, sort of action, shall we say. Mm. I'll give you three guesses how they got the eagle to attack Peter Wingard. Oh, through his coat. Yeah. yeah. And they stuck a load of meat on his meat. jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and Peter Wingard said afterwards, yes, it was, it was a very real reaction because it had a nine-foot wingspan. Yeah. And was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as well. But, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah and, and it's funny because there's two cuts of Night of the Demon, isn't there? There's a British and an American... Um, yeah, one. Yeah, because the Americans, it's Curse of the Demon. That's right, and I, I believe, believe yeah, one of them doesn't have the monster, doesn't have the demon in. Is that correct? One, I think one of them. No, one of it them has the, the demon in. It has the demon in. Less, I think there's like there's a bit. I think there might it might be Curse or it might be Night. I can't remember which way round it is, but one of them, you see the you see the creature at the beginning as well as the end. Yeah. 
Whereas I think, and I, it may actually be, it might be the American version that doesn't have, you don't see it at the start. I think that's the, if I remember correctly, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I think that was probably just the decision was much the same with this. It was like Night of the Eagle, who's going to go and see that? We'll call it Burn Witch Burn. Yeah. And, mm. uh, you know, the, 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 the drive through guys, will be, the, the driving crowd will be set. You know, I, I mean, I have to say, if it's something that's called when something's called Burn Witch Burn, I'd be a bit disappointed by this film because I don't go into this film like Night of the Eagle. I'm intrigued and yeah. I'll sit there and I will continue to be intrigued. Burn Witch Burn, I can imagine I'm sitting there like looking at my watch going, I ain't seen a fucking witch yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see. I went into this completely blind as well. I'd never even heard of this film. Uh, and Adam, they released they release it on DVD, and you bought it for me for my birthday or Christmas one year. Um, yes, yes. And it sat on the shelf for a couple of months, again, because I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't know when I was going to be in the mood for it. And then mm. one night I was like, oh, I'll just stick that on and give it a go. Yeah, and was absolutely blind. I was like, why have I never even heard of this film? It's, <laughs> it's such a fantastic. Um, and I think what works for me particularly, which is funny because it's the exact opposite kind of what, of what Chris said. Um, I think what particularly works for me is the fact that it implies that there is witchcraft and that it does work, but it isn't full-on balls to the wall, we're going to raise a demon, he's going to run through the streets. It's mm. all, it is stuff Subtle. very easily be oh, yeah. coincidence or circumstantial, but it's mm. the idea that, that is how, that's how witchcraft works. Mm. Yeah. You can easily dismiss or miss it. Um, mm. And I think that's why this worked for me as much as it did, because it is that subtle, you know, it's not right. You know, we want him dead. So we're going to get a thing and stick pins in it. And he's just going to fall dead in the street. It's, it's mm. a subtle, yeah, sort of contr controlling, manipulative type of witchcraft. Um, mm. Yeah, which I, I thought was fantastic. But yeah, and, and a lot more almost, as you say, not believable but if you were to believe i'm sure people who do believe in witchcraft do believe in it this way you know they don't mm. think they can raise a demon and send it to go and kill someone in the night but they do think they can put bad luck on them and just general life will wear them down quicker because of uh, the influences that they've had yeah mm. it's definitely it's definitely a it's one of those things where it works on a subjective level and also with, without, um, you know, without belief there on either party, hmm. it can't work anyway. Yeah. So, you know, and I think, I think that's the thing is the point of it is, is it's about, um, it's, I said, I, who was it who put that? It was, um, Warren Ellis who wrote, um, Transmetropolitan and uh, the adaption of Castlevania, you know, the cartoon, yeah. the animated Castlevania. Yeah, he, it's in one of, one of his, uh, in one of his comics, uh, they refer to it as the cheat codes of reality. Um, that, and that's what magic is. But also there's the whole thing where it's um, about the establishment of your own personal reality. So the world is as you see it because it can't be any other way, essentially. Yeah. Well, you generate the world in your mind. Exactly. 
and as much as you, yeah. you can choose to do that and weirdly enough it can and then it intersects with other people and that's just mm. how you know that that is in essence how reality works is it's just we all we all agree on certain things yeah it's probably the, the best way of putting it mm. but um but i think that uh yeah there's a, a lot in this that can be read either way mm-hmm. and and shockingly enough i think apart from apart from the attack of the apart from the attack of well like basically a, a statue comes to life if, and attacks someone you know at that point that, that that's, could, ma- that's magic well yeah but i was was wondering it still could have been you know he's started to go crazy and so exactly. he is imagining it's, it at this point now the attack with the of the eagle i took to be purely hypnosis Mm, because she was playing it so loud and yeah it's related to that um take message yeah yeah the only things i took to be real real quote-unquote witchcraft if you like yeah is the fact that she might have had some control over that van that ran him off the road when he was trying to get tansy to get off of the coach well it seemed surprising that she knew about it yeah, and obviously the house burning down. Yeah. Interesting oh, but, fact. but they showed that as the cat doing it. So again, it was the like, cat knocks over you know, oil lamp. it could the cat. be explained. Yeah, but that could be explained either way. But his wife suddenly developing a limp and going and getting a big knife from a the... A knife, side. yeah. That yeah. Is, is a little bit... Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I'd imagine Jennifer's been near it a few times. Yeah. I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't bet against it, and be honest. But I think that the, um, I think also we we've obviously got to say, hail to Peter Wingard, indeed, uh, for being just absolutely, absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah, um, he must have done fact, some other things. Uh, well, he famously he he was he played a character called Jason uh, Jason King on television. First of all, in a show called Department S, which was a bit like a sort of um, it, it was from the 60s around that same sort of time as you get the Avengers and the Champions and basically mm. it's a group of people who solve unsolvable crimes mm. like like I forget what like you know it'll be like plane takes off with loads of people in it plane lands they've all gone where does that stand as part of the you know and then they call in Department S who solved the mystery mm-hmm. and his role in that was Jason King and uh, he basically is the inspiration for Austin Powers. Um, he was a crime novelist who also served crimes in his spare time. He was constantly surrounded by ladies. And um, he had an incredible rapist moustache and bouffant hair. And Jason King was so popular as part of Department S that they then spun it out and he had his own series for a while. Mm. Um, also, like we discussed, I think it was last week, he played Langdale Pike in Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, but he also played the character of Baron Gruner in The Illustrious Client in an earlier adaption of Sherlock Holmes, the uh, Douglas, Willman, Douglas Wilmer and Nigel Stock era from the 60s. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and Baron Gruner is, is perfect for Peter Wingard because he's, he, he's that awful bastard... You know the one who's like he ends up getting a vitriol throwing. Yeah, the one who's got the book of women. That's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 
uh, he is, yeah. And um, so you've, yeah, but he's also Peter Quint in The Innocence, which came out, I didn't realise came out just before this did. So oh, it's, you know, they're quite, and The Innocence is an adaption of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Really, really good, brilliant film that is. Um, you would probably know him, Chris, as Clytus in Flash Golden. No, I am not as familiar with Flash Gordon as I should be. He's the one with the gold skull face. Okay. Who's Ming's Ming's assistant, essentially, or his, like, his right-hand man. Uh, uh, responsible for one of the finest moments of uh, an obscure body in the SK system. The inhabitants call it... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, someone sat, someone sat him down and said, we want you to find a different way of saying Earth. And he found one. Um, he was in Doctor Who, Planet of Fire. He, he's actually he's, uh, Steve's dad in The Yob. Comic Strip presents The Yob. Oh, really? Yeah. Blimey. Um, uh, he's in two really good episodes of The Avengers, one of which is called A Touch of Brimstone, which was banned at the time because he ran... He was the evil aristocrat who ran the Hellfire Club. And at one point, uh, Emma Peel, played by Diana Rigg, uh, comes out in a spiked corset with a snake round her neck. And blimey, yeah. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's cool. Says it all. On the yep. as we speak. Yep. Uh, but the, and that episode actually got, uh, was, I think it was cut because at one point, because it's, it's meant to be like they're, they're meant to be like a modern day version of the Hellfire Club, so it's all like sort of you know, uh, drink and debauchery and ladies, and um, yeah. Uh, but she comes out like that, but she's also got a whip with her. And at one point, Peter Wingard's trying to whip her, and then she whips him back. And uh, yeah, a lot of people read something into that. I don't know what it sounded perfectly innocent to me, you know. So um, yeah. But I mean, he sort of, you know, he did the rounds in lots and lots of stuff. I really want to see a. Uh, there's a film called Tank Malin, which stars Ray Winston as a uh, journalist. It's like from the mid eighties. Hmm. It wasn't a role I was expecting you to say for Ray Winston. Yeah, but Wingard plays an evil aristocrat covering up a child prostitution scandal in the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got like, yeah, uh, it's, and it's directed by Georgie from A Clockwork Orange, which is just weird. Um, <laughs> But um, in, now, the interesting thing is that Peter, Peter Wingard, as I say, uh, he was this massive, massive icon because of playing Jason King. My dad used to dress like fucking Jason King <laughs> uh, because Jason King, he always had birds around the place and everything else like that. However, in the, when was it? Uh, in the sort of mid, mid-70s, basically, sort of like at the height of his power, uh, he was arrested twice for... Um, was uh yeah he was arrested twice for gross indecency in some public mm. toilets where basically he was in there uh procuring for gay sex uh, mm-hmm. he was he was closeted and i think remained so pretty much for his entire life but you know these sort of came out at which point my dad stopped dressing like jason king strangely enough <laughs> even though he and he was really pissed off because he'd grown the moustache, bought all the like the crushed velvet jackets. He'd put in a serious effort. He'd put in a lot <laughs> yeah. of effort. And then, yeah, and then that happened, which was quite good because my dad basically looked like a Technicolor version of the Yorkshire Ripper. 
<laughs> rather than Jason King, it has what to be said. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, he, um, but now, but the interesting thing is, is that um, uh, I mean, regardless of anything else, Peter Wingard, fucking great actor, Mine. brilliant sort of that sort of brilliantly hammy delivery as well. But it's just just on the right side of ham a lot mm-hmm. of the time, you know, like a bit of pickle, just on the right side of ham. <laughs> um, he did release he released the self titled album in 1970 just called Peter Wingard later re-released as When Sex Lears It's Inquisitive Head it's a very good album but Mm. oh my fuck there is stuff on that album that just Jesus Christ it must have been dodgy at the time oh really yeah there is there is stuff uh, majority of it sort of like you know it's sort of bandies along and it's sort of like partially spoken word and actually the opening track is brilliant because it's just him hello yes come right in yes hmm. no the lights haven't gone it's candlelight yes <laughs> can i can i take your coat hmm. what an amazing central wearing is it yes i thought so and it's just this sort of weird like seduction intro um unfortunately that segues into a song called rape in which he um jokingly describes rape in various different countries whilst impersonating the accents of the countries involved. I can see why this is <laughs> into the mainstream mm. anytime recently. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I th- this, this is, be- I think this is, this is almost like a dictionary definition of problematic. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's an album that has to be heard to be believed, but on your own head, be it please. Please be aware that I do not re- I do not recommend it from an entertainment value, more a curiosity one. Yes. Mm. There is, however, a song on there that's beautiful called Neville Thumbcatch, which is basically got ripped off by eels for um, Nova Came for the Soul. It's that same riff. Okay. That sort of doom, 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 doom. But it's, yeah, really good song. Uh, but yeah, there's others on there that, oh, Christ. So... <laughs> Now, he died in January 2018, and mm. I thought I knew the story of Peter Wingard because it was sort of like, you know, he was an actor, like my dad had made me aware of him. Yeah. Uh, my dad had told, told me his, essentially his story and everything else like that, and, um, you know, I'd seen him in lots of stuff. I'd seen him in Flash Golden, I'd seen episodes of Department S, episodes of Jason King, all the episodes he's in The Avengers, Doctor Who, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of it. It was like crossover. And I thought, you know, I kind of know Peter Wingard. Turns out I don't, and not many people did. Because what's become clear since his death is that he was an utter, utter bullshitter. Oh, really? <laughs> and you're, seriously, this is one of those things where it's like, it's admirable. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not sort of, that no one has been hurt by this. It's not like suddenly, you know, Stuff comes out of the woodwork where it's like, oh, they did these terrible things or whatever like that. It's just a, a tissue of whoppers that he has sort of like laid out in his, in his wake, so to speak. So, yeah. First of all, his real name was Cyril Goldberg. And uh, he changed his name to Peter Wingard. Um, and took the opportunity to change his date of birth, uh, his educational credentials... <laughs> Um, yeah, basically, just uh, yeah. Where is it? So he claimed a birth year of either nineteen thirty-three or thirty-seven, and it was probably nineteen twenty-seven. <laughs> he claimed to be born to an English father and a French mother in a Marseille in, in Marseille in France. 
uh, with his father named as a diplomat called Henry Wingard, where his actual father, uh, who Wingard referred to as his stepfather, was a Ukrainian merchant seaman who naturalised as a British citizen living in uh, Malaya. His mother was a mixed-race woman from Singapore. Um, And, uh, yeah. So, and they would like, they had like several brothers and sisters and everything. And then when Japan, they were living out in Shanghai and when Japan occupied during World War II, they were placed in the Lunghua civilian internment camp, which is where J.G. Ballard spent his time when, like where the book Empire of the Sun comes from. Hmm. Uh, J.G. Ballard claims he knew Peter Wingard. Peter Wingard denied it. But I think that might have something to do with the fact that Peter Wingard did acknowledge that he was in the in the Lunghuao camp. However, he claimed he was the youngest un, unsupervised child in the camp at five years old, whereas actually he was in there with his entire family and was probably about fifteen. <laughs> so, so he did. So he didn't overwrite everything, but he did knock. Where it's like, well, actually, if I shared that off my, I'd have been five when I was in there. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that marvellous? And yeah, so I mean, basically, he, yeah, he came up, when he came to when he came to England and changed his name to Peter Wingard. He just chose, well, fuck it, I'm just going to rewrite my autobiography. And we, and even even now, 1927 is the most likely date of birth. We don't know it for certain. <laughs> You know, he did a very good job of just making sure that all his his past was discarded and everything else like that. And it's just, again, I just love that. I just think that's just such a wonderful thing where it's like, you know, someone... It's like like the same with my nan. When my nan died, we found out she'd been lying about her fucking age for years. (laughs) But she'd shaved shaved like three or four years off her bloody self, Uh, which was something only discovered when we discovered her birth certificate. And I I just think it's lovely that he just sort of he's like sod it i'm gonna take the opportunity and just like yeah what's a what what's the bio i want rather than the bio i've got um but yeah i mean he has to it has to be said yeah i think he's um i mean he he makes the movie but i think that the car the rest of the cast are really strong as well oh, i don't think yeah. there's any weak mm. links yeah. and actually i have to say the guy who plays um um, well, let's just say, I think nowadays, whenever, especially a British horror film, if I watch an old British horror film, I'm thinking, they, if, what if they remade this today? Which character would be played by Mark Gatiss? Because you know he'd get his bloody oar in there. And it's Flora's husband, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah he, that's who Mark Gatiss would play in this character. But that guy is uh, a guy called Colin Gordon, um, who was one of the few people to play a multiple number two in The Prisoner. Um, ah. and Peter Wingard was a number two in The Prisoner as well so and he was very good he was in Checkmate but um, yeah but he's in like sort of he's in a lot of stuff he was in the, the Doctor Who The Faceless Ones he's in Hancock The Pink Panther Casino Royale the original not the yeah. not the not the latest one um, and yeah I think that uh, he's definitely that's definitely the role I would have said that's that's the that's Mark Gatiss would have said oh well I'll mm. I'll play uh, I'll I'll play Lindsay Carr it'll be pretty good <laughs> so, but yeah I think but again I think everyone's sort of everyone's working to the same place as well also mm. the guy the guy who was the doctor which I do love that bit where it's just like well I don't advise you you take it to a hospital yeah. what are you doing you know and and again, it's that sort of thing of oh, I'm you know, I'm smarter than you, ain't I? 
But uh, that doctor turns up in loads and loads of yeah, most, like, um, comedy films and stuff, doesn't yeah. he? He's like, I'm sure he's in Forty Towers and Rising Dam and stuff like that. Yeah. But he's in the Hammer House of Horror, the Thirteenth Reunion. And I think, I think maybe, maybe when we come up to Christmas, those we might we could do with a bit of visiting some of those. I reckon. Oh yeah, oh totally, and I, I love those the Hammer House of Horrors. Some of those mm. are absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, I'd be very keen to. And actually, Wingard was in uh, one of the Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense uh, episodes. As well, so there's a, a. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the thing is, it's like, oh, it's a British film from the sixties. Yeah, you can guarantee that someone's been in the Avengers. They've been in Doctor Who. They'll have been, you know, they'll have been in at least one sort of uh, sitcom or comedy or whatever like that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that. Oh, and one interesting fact is, uh, and probably probably the only thing you know, it's always that classic thing of, oh, you're dealing with witchcraft, you're dealing with magic. Oh, everything's going to go tits up. Everything's going to go weird, and everything else like that. Um, apparently, um, uh, Janet Blair, who is Tanzer, Tanzer, uh, who is Tanzer, um, when they were filming the bit where the house burns down, hmm. uh, halfway through that, she got a phone call and was told that her house in California was burning to the ground. Hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, That's uh, Yeah. But I mean that. I mean that's literally that. That's literally the only thing that anyone's got on the sort of the trivia thing for this or anything. Yeah. So, but um, put that down to uh, pure coincidence. But I think, yeah. I mean, certainly coming coming from this film, I think I would definitely. I think we need to do some of the Hammer House of Horrors. We'll have a think about what episodes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but also, I think at some point we need to cover Night slash Curse of the Demon. Without a doubt, because they're class. I mean, obviously, they're so, it's so close to this that we've got. We we definitely have to leave it for a, a little while. Yeah. Um. Because they, I mean, they're you know they're very much in the same sort of thing. It'd be interesting to see how that compares for you, Chris, mm. as well, because that um, it's not and it's not a sort of word for word sort of follow to this because it's based on uh, M. R. James's short story, The Casting of the Runes, and you've got a uh, a very Alistair Crowley type villain turns up in it. It's just, yeah, mm. really, it's, um, again, a cracking film, I think. But, um, I mean, it was nice. It, I have to say it was nice revisiting this. I did find it, I did find it a bit slow, maybe, but not never to the point of like, you know, uh, never to the point that it lost its shine, should we say. No, I yeah, think it was just, I, I, I was quite. I enjoyed the pace enough. I, I, I mean, I know what you mean, but yeah, I liked the mystery element. Kept me mm. going all the way through. I think maybe that's what it is. Is because I'm uh, maybe it's because it's a, a third, fourth watch, or yeah, like that. So I know yeah. what's going on, and I'm kind of yeah. like, right, get there. Now get mm. to that bit, and then yeah. there's that bit, isn't there? It's much, much in the same way as how you'd watch Star Wars as a kid, and like, right, yeah, we get the love stuff. Come on, no, where's Darth yeah. Vader? you know all right and i think yeah i think that may have, mm. <laughs> that may have had a, 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 a an effect on it possibly i didn't get that but i did get to when it gets to the point where they're on the beach in cornwall at night yeah i did think hang on a minute how is this only 45 minutes in i'm sure there's, there, there's here then there's the eagle and that's the end of it how is there still 45 mm. minutes to go? Mm. Um, but yeah. then i think I mean, actually, Flora as the villain is 
pretty obvious mm. because it's the cl- it's the classic thing of essentially it's like oh well she's got a funny eye and a, and a limp <laughs> you know I mean she's clearly the villain it's it's bomb theory do you know it what I mean it's like I'm, have you got a I'm, physical disability yeah. yes right we'll go and sit in the chair and stroke the cat <laughs> I don't watch a lot of like crime thrillers but at one point it did just suddenly make me think of Columbo it might have been when he was confronting her and explaining it all and I was like oh yeah it's a little bit of a you know, fit in the, the mould slightly. But. Yeah, and I it, and fantastic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when she's sitting there and it's just, well, I'm just playing with a pack of cards. Yeah. You know, actually, I think that's prob- probably, if he'd been allowed to, that is the role that Mark Gatiss would want. <laughs> he'd want he'd want to drag up and be Flora, but probably wouldn't yeah. be allowed to. But I think that... Um, you know, she has a she has a sort of it's it's a wonderfully sinister air, mm. but it's also so crushingly sort of parochial because mm. it's like what? So you've got these powers you can unleash, and you're using it to make sure your husband gets a promotion. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like the yeah. the, the most sort of Margot led better middle class witchery. Yeah. Sort of thing, and even down to that, where it's like at the start, where clearly she's been round the house putting curses in, mm. because that's when Tansy goes round and he's like finding like the uh, like the poppet in the lampshade and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and again, it's like she's you know she's obviously sort of it's it's like there's this thing has been ongoing for some time, and Tansy's obviously been aware of it, mm. um, and yeah. And it's only just sort of like come to his attention. I also have to say, and this is again part of maybe part of the sort of question of being of its being of its time, in so much as you're kind of expected to go along with Peter Wingard, where it's like you know, sort of like oh, these silly women and their stupid fantasies and everything else like that. Is it's interesting that you, when you watch it, where you've got. Because nowadays, I don't think they would put in the plot line about the uh, the student, the girl. No. Mm. Where it's like she accuses... And because I think now, it would be almost assumed that it was the case. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily... like Just from a point of view of it as a trope in mm. film and TV, mm. I think it would be assumed that that was what was going on. Whereas... You know, in this, it's almost it, well. It's it's not questioned. Unthinkable. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's not Just, questioned because you're yeah. with the character, so you yeah. know you know that 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 isn't what happened. Yeah. But mm. it's still, I think now they just wouldn't put it in because it would just it would reflect too much doubt and also create. You know, that's a thing where. You, you know, if it was if if it was played out, that would be. I mean, that's a ruinous of a career anyway. Mm-hmm. Which is again part of the um, part of the uh, Flora's scheme. If it's Flora who's influencing her to be, yeah, um, yeah, controlling her. Yeah. Well, she is. She, they do say she's her ward, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's obviously got access to her, as it were, and so she's probably been the one who's like feeding it, either mentally or witchcraftily. She's the one who, yeah, whether it's manipulation or genuine magic. So, but again, I think it's, I just think that that's something that wouldn't necessarily be, wouldn't necessarily be done now or without it being, because I mean, it's quite explicit in the film, but I think they would have, they would just be like shoring it up 
yeah so much that you didn't you know no, look, that, yeah. this didn't yeah. def- definitely didn't happen and he's not got form for it or anything yeah. else like that you know so it's um yeah that's definitely something that sort of i was like no, no, i kind of, I kind of think it worked as a you know as one of the things that was going wrong because it had both her um and her boyfriend as well who was mm. you know like the backstory was he was flunking out of class and yeah. then it is is um norman actually being bad on him you know like it's, it's a bit questionable yeah, is, he, is he giving him a hard time why yeah. is he giving him a hard time is it because he's a prick or mm. i mean the best bit i mean when he pulls the gun on him and then yeah. he just grabs it off him and slaps yeah. it. it was like that yeah man. <laughs> you were never going to use that were you posh boy <laughs> so. he's on the phone he says no no nobody's hurt yeah. you have just slapped him in the face and he is crying he, he seems quite quite hurt yeah, yeah. but not yeah but, not hurt, but you know yeah, I mean, it's sort of, well, still, still, I mean, it's like, you know, he's, you know, Peter Wingard's there. If you're acting like a bitch, I'm going to slap you like a bitch. <laughs> that's what he's, that's what his eyes said. His eyes said, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I, yeah, so, uh, it's just a, just a, it's just a very, it's, it's a very good film, but I do feel like, yeah, it's half, it's half a workplace drama. Mm half a supernatural chiller <laughs> yeah i think this afternoon was the perfect time to watch it on a rainy saturday afternoon um mm. yeah so yeah i think that was the perfect time to watch it so that's our, our recommend do watch mm. it watch it on a rainy saturday afternoon and you will not be uh i think i think that's absolutely that is actually perfect and weirdly enough i think this is a film that you could you could put this on in the afternoon Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, there's a, you know, there's a, there's enough in it that's like, there's nothing in it that's so, sort of overtly, yeah. you know, but it still has, I think that's the point. It still has a psychological value. Yeah. Mm. Like it could still, you know, it still intrigues. It's still sort of like, yeah, um, definitely. You, 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 you think about it afterwards, but there's nothing in there that's like going to frighten the horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> Yes, fantastic movie. Yeah, very well made. Um, so, on that note, uh, don't forget, next week we are going to be doing Jennifer's birthday oh, yeah. pick. Mm-hmm. Let the right one in. So we'll be covering Let the Right One In. Um, that is the original, not the remake, which shall forever be known as Let the Shite One In. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we'll- that means I need to watch that as well then, don't I? Afterwards. <laughs> I've I'm I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, if you get the chance, then I think you should. I, I'm not gonna it's... lie. I enjoyed the remake. It's a uh, good film. I um, might be able to get an argument going then. Well, yeah, yeah, you may be able to. It's worth a go. I just I felt, without spoilers, they made it different. It wasn't just let's reshoot it because people can't mm. to read subtitles. They changed the story enough, around enough to make it more relevant for an American audience, which I okay. thought was. Yeah, I think I'll go for yeah. fair, fair play to him that, that it isn't it isn't like like a shot for shot remake essentially. Mm. It's like you said, it's not for lazy people who can't read subtitles. Yeah, or maybe mm. it is, and they thought, well, seeing as we're remaking it, let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> While we're here. Well, yeah. cool. Right, so. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, 
go and check out Let the Right One In ready for next week. Go and check out Night of the Eagle if you haven't already. Uh, go and listen to Not For Everyone. Listen to Not For Everybody. Not For Everybody? That's not even yeah. what they're called. It's not no, everybody. they're Not For Everyone. Yes. <laughs> they aren't for everybody, but it's not what they're called. No. Um, yes. And we will see you all next week for Let the Right One In. Good night. No, no. How did I get their name wrong? What a fucking melt. Please keep that in. <laughs> <laughs>